All right, Colin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Harry? Excellent. I'm excited. I'm ready for our first inaugural episode of Wannabe Angels. Is that the title we decided on? I think that's what we decided on. You know, we want to be angels, but we're also <laughs> the JV team, so wannabes for sure. Yeah, definitely uh, JV, but hopefully moving up to varsity uh, at some point <laughs> in the future. Um, but I mean, I think that's kind of the, the the tough part about angel investing is sometimes you don't know how you're doing for seven to 10 years, right? Until you start seeing returns. Yeah. You know, just a, a cool decade later, you'll uh, know if you've been successful or not. So make yeah. some bets and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think that's sort of why we wanted to start this podcast, because we're definitely early on in our angel investing journey and uh, we don't know how we're doing, or at least... I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know how I'm doing. I don't think I'm doing terrible. I don't think I'm doing great, but I'm having fun. It seems interesting. It seems exciting. So I'm going to keep doing it. And that's why I agreed to do this podcast with you. No, agreed. I'm, you know, learning more about doing the direct investments on the angel side. You know, uh, I've had some, you know, bad fruit ripen early on me. Uh, so I've definitely had my, my failures and in my, uh, you know, the, the J curve of venture returns that uh, comes back to, to help me out in a significant way. But, uh, right now, yeah. Um, not going, uh, super well, but I'm very excited about, you know, what we've, you know, both been investing in and the kind of crop of what's next. Uh, yeah. So cool. Well, I know, uh, all of these topics and more we're going to be covering, uh, in the future and we're going to be doing a weekly episode. So hopefully everyone enjoys this first one. Can't make any promises, but I do think, uh, with time we'll get a little better. And, uh, you know, I guess for those who are listening, who, you know, maybe are coming more from my network, um, that don't know you, tell me a little bit about yourself, Colin. Yeah. Well, so Colin, uh, long time, uh, tech startup guy have been, uh, working in marketplaces specifically and kind of B2C consumer tech for, uh, you know, over a decade now or more. Uh, most recently, I uh, was at Outdoorsy, uh, where I was chief broadcast officer, chief revenue officer. Uh, as well as a business we spun out called Romelate, uh, which is an insure tech. Um, and, you know, since uh, leaving there, you know, what I've been really focused on is advising startups uh, and really also helping them through the fundraising process. You know, through my career in tech, I've done about 200 plus million in fundraising. Uh, it's kind of the right hand of the CEO and founders. And that's taught me a lot uh, about what to do there. But it also kind of got me interested in being on the other side and doing investing. And so I've been starting to angel invest both with my time and money uh, and doing some syndications uh, as well for startups that I work with. Uh, I really enjoy that part, kind of hustling to help them get funding and really helping founders shoot their shot for coming yeah. out of lead. Well, I think, uh, you know, we, we've been working together a bit over the past few months and it's definitely becoming apparent that uh, you've got a lot more skills than me on the fundraising side. So hopefully we'll be a good team on this podcast and, uh, you know, other projects and endeavors and things like that that we're working with. And I kind of imagine that, you know, right now in this environment, uh, fundraising is a pretty big skill, uh, you know, and pretty high in demand skill, um, you know, if you got it and if you can help startups with it, right? Yeah, I'd say uh, right now the fundraising environment is really tough. Uh, generally and deals aren't getting done or that's kind of like generally the sentiment. And so I try to do my best to help people kind of navigate that, set the right expectations and really get in touch with the right investors for them. That's the big yeah. part. It's not spray and pray. It's like very targeted and you got to be on the money right now. So, uh, but you know, my audience is a little bit different than yours. I think, you know, I've yeah. very much, I'm from a, you know, tech operator background. That's pretty much the only people I know heads down, uh, grinding on startups, uh, Marklist specifically, um, is a big area. Um, so 
I think they'd love to learn a little bit more about you. We're all familiar with ride sharing and what that is, but uh, tell us a little bit more about your story. Yeah, definitely. So I actually, before my current career, I used to be an aerospace engineer for Boeing. So kind of doing the exact opposite of what I do now. But uh, about eight or nine years ago, I actually started my blog, The Rideshare Guy. I started driving for Uber and Lyft on the side and covering the companies really from the perspective of the worker. And, uh, you know, fast forward eight or nine years later, very good timing, complete luck by me, just happened <laughs> to drop into ride sharing at the, at the time of, you know, uh, super crazy growth. And, uh, you know, the companies exploded. Our site uh, did really well. We expanded into YouTube and podcasts and courses and books and, you know, basically any box on the Internet. We are now covering rideshare and a lot of last mile delivery. And so really over the years, I've just tried to leverage that media side of the business into other areas. And angel investing is one of them. So, you know, I've been advising companies really almost since, you know, maybe year two or three, I started, you know, getting equity to advise companies. And a few years ago, finally, at least in my head, I thought I might have enough cash to do some angel investing. And uh, I don't know if I if that was quite true, but uh, I've been angel investing over the past few years and, you know, invested over $500,000, $600,000 of my own money over the past three, four years. And, uh, you know, learning a lot, having a lot of fun and, um, you know, kind of just want to continue to get better. And that's sort of why I'm excited to do this podcast journey with you. Have fun, chat about the stuff that, you know, you and I are kind of been texting about and emailing about and talking about off the air. I feel like there's a lot of people on a similar journey, right? And so that's sort of why I want to talk about it. And, you know, we're, I'm definitely uh, no expert, uh, as people will see. I don't know what a J-curve is, but it sounds familiar. <laughs> but we'll uh, definitely get into all that and more. Totally. No, that's super awesome. So uh, I think the format we're going to use for, for at least now uh, until we figure out a better one is uh, we're going to kind of cover uh, sort of a topic that I think is, you know, people think about and, uh, you know, that we have some personal advice and, and experience on, you know, we may not be, we're probably not the people, or at least I'm not the person to like define every term when it comes to angel investing, but, uh, you know, sort of how we think about it. And so I think that's going to be the first thing we'll cover. And then I also feel like, you know, there's so many uh, angels and VCs on Twitter. We're always seeing these threads every week that are kind of going viral or semi-viral. Viral. So I thought it'd be fun to, you know, cover one thread that we saw in the past week or two. And it sounds like on our next episode, we'll have a good, a cool guest too. So um, uh, that'll be kind of the format that we'll use going forward. How does that sound? That works for me. I'm very excited about some of our guests. In in particular, you know, I think what we're trying to go after, yeah. people come up through the ranks, angel investing, yeah. look hard lessons, and hopefully can share that with us. Because I think that's one of the things that is just not out there in a super yeah. meaningful way is how to become an angel investor. I think there's more things today that you can, you know, uh, join to learn. But, you know, over the past couple of years, it was certainly the school of hard knocks. And so I'm excited yeah. to learn from some of the experts out there. Yeah, uh, I think experts. Yeah, I think what's cool is you for sure and me a little bit have a pretty decent network. And so, you know, I think we can kind of get, you know, there's definitely two types of guests that I think we'll be going after. One, you know, sort of the bigger names that have, you know, maybe done some other podcasts or out there in public about it. And, you know, they'll be fun to learn from and people know their names and you will know, we'll try to get them on. But then I think also the under the under the radar folks, right? The people who are making, you know, 100, 200 investments and you've never heard their name or they're not on Twitter. So I feel like at least to start, I think the plan is to go for a little half and half and uh, see how see how the content is. Yeah, I'm excited for it. All right. So Colin, our target was to do a two to three minute intro. We're at uh, nine minutes. So we we just went a little bit over, but uh, we've got two topics that we want to hit here. So I think today, you know, for our first segment, uh, you know, we've been 
bouncing this idea around what is an angel investor? I mean, it's really kind of like core to this podcast we're doing. So when, when someone asks, uh, what's an angel investor, what would you tell them? Yeah, I mean, by the strict definition, if you're just going on, you know, the internet, looking at Investopedia, something like that, it's, you know, an angel investor is basically a high net worth individual provides financial backing for startups or entrepreneurs in exchange for ownership and equity in the company. And for me, you know, I guess that's a traditional definition, but I think more and more, you know, what's become important is that many people and like normal people want to be part of the ownership economy. And there's been this big translation, both, you know, from a legislative perspective, but also cultural perspective of people trying to invest early. And so for me, angel investing is about getting great people that you want on your cap table to invest in your company, right? Whether that's friends and families, other accredited investors, we can go into what that is. Uh, but for me, it's, you know, not only about money, but it's also about time and getting people kind of invested in your business, um, regardless of how, low, how large the check size is or, you know, whether or not they're a VC or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, it feels like there's something, I don't know, sexy about being an angel investor, putting it on your LinkedIn or telling people you're an angel investor there. I mean, I feel like the interest in becoming an angel has definitely increased in, you know, I don't know, maybe the past three to five years. Like I kind of joke, like seems like everybody is or wants to be an angel. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? And maybe why that is? Yeah, I mean, I, definitely some cachet, right? You feel very important when a company sends you uh, hey, I want you to invest. Here's my deck. Here's my financials. Yeah. It's a power thing, right? So they're asking you for sort of thing. Yeah, that's a lot of what it is. Uh, for the people that are actually like what I would call actually angel investing is they're putting some money down, right? Mm -hmm. On a repeated basis. Um, you know, if you're an angel investing uh, once per year, you know, I mean, I think that's pretty infrequent. You know, it's kind of my mind you know, people that are doing this more repeatedly and looking to do it on a repeated basis, you know, yeah. I, for example, like syndication, you know, like uh, as I've started to look at it, it's like it ramped with uh, one company that I liked and was like, Hey, I can help them raise something here. I want to invest. So I'm already investing and advising. Um, why don't I get some other people do it? And then all of a sudden now we're in a cadence where there's one to two deals a month. Mm -hmm. Uh, and th th that to me is like where you're really starting to get into that realm of like, like, yeah, investing. So. So there's sort of like, you know, kind of like a real angel. And I think about it like, I don't know, there's like a real angel investor versus like a fake angel investor. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like, I'm not trying to put down the latter category, like, oh, you're a fake angel investor. But like, I understand why someone would want to say that. And, you know, maybe they think they are, or, you know, maybe they're sort of more pretending, or maybe they're just like faking it till they make it. Hey, I'm a, you know, we work in startups. We're totally a fan of that, right? Like if yeah. in startups, you get, you gotta have to, you know, have that vision and fake it till you make it. Do you think there's a good threshold? Like in my mind, I would say someone that's doing, you know, one investment, maybe every one to three months, like three to four investments a year. Like, I don't even know that I necessarily care as much about the dollar amount because, you know, like someone who's really wealthy, right? Like if they're doing 25,000 checks, that's nothing to them. Like, I guess, you know, maybe more percent of your net worth is like a good uh, function, right? Like if you're doing, I don't know, if, you, if, you're, if your net worth is a million dollars, I don't know, I, maybe we don't have to go into that much detail, but you know, if it's like a, yeah. a decent chunk of your net worth, right? And it's only $2,500 checks and you plan to do 10 or 20 of them, um, you know, to me, that's meaningful. And like, I would call you an angel investor. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's about frequency, less about amount, right? Mm. And for me, the kind of like 
you know, doing one one deal a quarter is kind of like a threshold where you're actually pretty frequent and reliable and looking at deal flow. Yeah. If you get much below that, it's uh, really more of like, I would call it a friends and family investor. Um, yeah. It's like that. So, uh, but again, yeah, you know, I like that. I like that threshold. I think, I think if people trust us and they're like, here, you know, we'll, we'll start our own, uh, you know, definitions, you know, uh, our own definition of angel investor is someone who does, you know, more than I like kind of at least one deal a quarter, like doesn't, you know, have to be super strict, but like, I think you gotta be doing some investments, right? Yeah. It, you know, it's funny, like, well, maybe I can tell you like the feeling when I felt like an angel investor yeah. for the first time, uh, this is a fun story. So, you know, there was two moments I felt like an angel investor. First was the one where someone forwarded me uh, an intro to a founder and I got in touch with them. I didn't know anything about the business. I met them, they pitched me, I liked it, and I wanted to invest. And that yeah. to me was like, wow, I'm, I'm just like an angel investor now, right? Like I, it, it came out of nowhere. It wasn't like I had developed a relationship, helped the company. And not that that's not angel investing, but that was felt like I, I'm actually investing uh, as yeah. a job here. Um, another one was I, uh, used this product twice, uh, here in Austin and I loved it. Um, and I just basically found the CEO on LinkedIn reached out and was like, I love your product. I'm using it a lot. Can I invest? Yeah. And it just happened to be that they had like $10,000 open in their rounds. That was like, yeah, they had to fill out. And they were like, do you want to fill that out? And I was like, yes. And I wired <laughs> the check that, and I was like very out of character for me, but that was like, I'm an angel investor in that moment. That That's was cool. Like, uh, I mean, I think that's also kind of what's fun about being an angel is like, especially the, you know, you're often doing much earlier, uh, stage startups. Right. And so, you know, you're kind of going less off of like, you know, the metrics and kind of the boring stuff and more off the fun stuff, the feel, at least that's how I invest. I don't know if that's how you're supposed to do it, but I feel like I've heard, you know, people kind of, you know, to me, that's kind of yeah. like more what an angel is too, you know, I guess like we talked quantitatively now qualitatively like what does it feel like to be an angel investor to me it's like hey i like this team i like this product right like you know there's there's often like to me i feel like more reasons not to invest you know in like a really early stage company right if it's such a you know like great idea someone would have already done it right that's kind of why startups are so fun because they sound like such shitty ideas in the in the first place you know because um then, then they end up uh, one day working so i definitely think like I don't know that I feel like an angel investor yet, and especially on like, for me, it's a little weird because my media side of the business, I'm very public. Like I'm kind of a media whore, you know, like I've been quoted a lot, you know, we're, in, you know, I always tell people we're like every box on the internet. And when it comes to like investing and even advising, like I really don't advertise it. I don't put it out there. I put angel investor on my LinkedIn bio just recently, like very recently. And now I get all these spam inbound pitches like, Hey, do you want to invest in my company? So I'm thinking about changing that because it's kind of annoying. Yeah. I, what do you, do you think that there's angel investing is at a certain stage of company? Like, do you think you can be an angel investor after like a series A or is it only for like pre-seed seed? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah. So I think that for me personally, I looked at it really as an education process early on. And so I kind of wanted to look at all different deals, all different stages, LP, you know, come in as a LP into smaller funds and even up to bigger funds. So I'm an LP and, you know, a small kind of micro seed, multi-million dollar funds all the way up to, you know, like a hundred million dollar fund here in LA. And, um, you know, I've looked at, I don't know if I've done a second, or I think I've, I don't think I've done a secondary, but I looked at a couple secondaries. I looked at, you know, a couple series A, series B. I think for me as an angel investor though, you can have a lot more impact 
early with your time, right? Like when a company has a hundred people at series A, like how much help can one angel investor give versus, you know, when it's one person, one founder or, you know, very small team. So I think that's what I like. Like, I don't know that, you know, again, right. I don't know if there's a cutoff, but you can definitely have more impact with your money as an angel, uh, early on and also with, uh, your time for sure. So that's sort of, I think why most folks gravitate and think early stage when you hear the term angel. Yeah. And I imagine like your check size is more meaningful at that stage as well. So. Yeah. I mean, I think depends on the check. Like I, I think if you're like 2,500, they're probably yeah. getting you in, you know, more to get you involved in the company. If it's, I think like to me, 25,000, like seems like a good, you know, number where it's like, Hey, this is like an actual meaningful amount of money. I mean, obviously 10 to 20 is fine. Um, you know, and people will take it, but I feel like I often see, you know, like 25 K minimums, right. Which are of course like bullshit, right? Like if, if the founder really wants you, like there's no minimums, right. For anything, if they really want you, there's never a minimum. Um, but yeah, I feel like that number is kind of uh, meaningful. And I don't know. What do you think? You know, I, it's a good question because I, I've kind of see it all the ways, like you said, is that if a company really wants you to invest, they're going to take whatever check you want. But I do think there is like a search cost for the founders uh, or whoever's raising for the company. If it's not the yeah. founders, that's a concern. But the the point being is I think that's why they you know always have like a cutoff is like, I don't want to be pitching people that are going to give me a big check. And so yeah. I think that's where syndicates end up coming in and being really important is that there is a long tail of investors to kind of roll up and put in that do add value uh that want to give money but maybe isn't like worth the founder's time from a fundraising perspective to get those smaller checks or the really the all the paperwork for them on the cap yeah. table this thing so cool well that was our uh, first topic angel investing questions you know answered by colin and harry i think we're going to need to come up with a better name for each uh segment but for now uh, i think the point is clear we did a better job on time we did 10 minutes for that we were shooting for six to nine minutes now i think will be kind of the fun uh you know final section of the podcast uh trending twitter threads on angel investing oh. and so there's gonna be no shortage of material here i guarantee uh, i think we've picked this thread <laughs> Uh, this week, which uh, I'll be honest, maybe a little bit out of my league. So I might be relying on you a little here, Colin. I do know what pro rata is luckily, um, but uh, I might rely. I'll have a few thoughts, but we'll we'll see how this one goes. We, we picked kind of a tough one to start with, but this thread sort of went uh, viral the other day. Got 182,000 views on Twitter, you know, 400 likes, bunch of retweets. It's from Jenny Fielding. She's a managing partner at The Fund Global. Great name. Investing in pre-seed founders across money health and work i follow jenny i think you do too i really like i don't know her but i really like her uh following her on twitter because she shares like a lot of good interesting anecdotes but also like advice analysis and she's like very honest like about how she feels like you know another thread she had was like something happened and this really felt bad you know what i mean like she's like very honest like she's not trying to pretend to be someone or something she isn't so uh do you want to read uh, the tweet that she shared yeah Someone please explain to me why some of the most respected venture lawyers are coaching their founder clients not to offer pro-rated pre-seed investors. We're taking a ton of risk and are the true early believers in the company. This really sucks. I, I understand that sentence. Oh, you missed the emoji. Oh, sorry. It's like the huffy face. Uh, yeah, a huffy face yeah. emoji. I, um, so, you know, first off, what's pro-rata, right? right? Yeah. And so pro-rata, right, uh, from my experience uh, and definitionally is, uh, basically, as an investor, you put in a certain amount into a company, and if you're given a pro rata right, you're allowed to invest in the 
like subsequent rounds to keep your ownership percentage. That's the idea. So basically, it's like if the company is doing well, you get to keep on investing, right? Which I think makes sense in principle. Yeah, and, and I think what you know she's getting at is that she's it's becoming more of like a negotiation chip from founders of not offering it up front when yeah. you know, traditionally was allowed. And I do think with the advent of safe, you know, um, and the the safe we can go into another one, but you know they usually have a side letter with it for the pro rata. Um, and that isn't always necessarily given up front. And I think that's a lot of what she's saying is like, that should be kind of standard and par for the course and has been. Uh, and now that there are potentially venture lawyers out there probably trying to show their value and worth by telling yeah. others not to do it and have a negotiating chip. It, it's somewhat shrewd on that part, but I understand the uh, frustration of investors as well. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say on the founder's side, I sort of see it both ways. You know, one, it's like, a, you know, if you don't offer pro rata, then it's like less work or less of a requirement, right? It's like pro rata is saying you have to do something, right? So obviously, if you don't have to do something, that's usually better for yourself, even if it may not necessarily be the right thing to do, right? But I think like where you and I can maybe share a good perspective is like we've been, you know, we are, well, I don't know, we are angel or wannabe angels and, uh, you know, investing at early stage and like this has definitely happened to me where, you know, I'm investing small check and, you know, a company I've helped a ton. It's like they went off and raised their seed. I was nowhere near, you know, the picture, right? Because I don't help a lot with fundraising. I help more with like partnerships and customers and, you know, product and stuff like that. And they raised the round. He called me, you know, like the day before and just gave me an update on the round and everything. I was like, oh, I would love to put in, you know, a five or 10K check. And it was like, oh, you know, I don't think, I think it's going to be pretty tough to do it. Right. And I was kind of, you know, it wasn't the biggest deal in the world, um, but actually the company ended up uh, going under recently. But uh, still, at that time, I would have liked to put in a 5 or 10K check because I had been doing a lot of work. And, you know, like, I get it, though. He was like, he raised, you know, millions of dollars. So, like, why is he going to take the time to include me, right? Yeah, and, you know, it's an interesting thing because it is, like, a benefit, right? And the question is, is should a startup give it to every investor? You know, yes. is it and is it really worth their time and effort? Because um, you know there are dynamics where you know, set, let's say we're you know pre-seed investing uh, as an angel, and they start raising a seed round, but they have an institutional that comes in and wants to take the whole round, and they say you know raising one you know two million dollars, and they basically don't have any room, right? Yeah, that's I think that's a lot of what happens and where people get pushed out. I think it's frustrating because then you're, you know, getting diluted in that round and not maintaining your ownership percentage. But I also think, you know, like in the case of the fund and people like that, you know, they do pre-seed investments and then they have to follow on with like SPBs and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it, it is an interesting dynamic, but definitely seems hyper aggressive on the venture lawyer side to be pushing that. Yeah. And so I did uh, exchange a couple tweets with Jenny. And, you know, again, like I, I think she's really nice to even, you know, respond to me. Who am I um, on Twitter? Uh, you know, now you're the right now chair guy. Now that ever, yeah, sounds good. It's like, I don't know who this guy is. All right. Um, but she did say she's writing $250,000 checks and she did ask for pro rata. So I almost feel like, you know, to her credit, I think she's in like a different ballpark than you and I are. I'm not going to be writing $250,000 check anytime soon. I think when you're in that level, you know, the pro rata and asking for it and also getting it becomes much more important. So what I did with a recent company that I came on as, um, 
you know, that I invested and also came on as an advisor for, I literally told her, the founder, I was like, I just want to ask you right now, like, we don't need to make an official document, but can I have like an honorary pro rata? You know, just sort of like, I just wanted to put it in her head that like, hey, I'm going to be working hard for you. And like, I get it. Like there could be a situation, right, where what you described, Colin, like an investor comes in, they're the only money, you know, especially now where it's tough to raise money. They're the only person they're like, no, we want to be the only person, for example, or, you know, two funds or whatever it might be. But like, we want the only money in. We don't care about any other investors or advisors or whatever. Take it or leave it. Like if you're the founder, what are you going to do? Right. You kind of if that situation were to come up, you kind of have to take it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think you hit on something there that even Jenny says, you got to earn that pro rata, right? Like it isn't necessarily, you know, every round is, do you want to have the same people coming back in to continue yeah. the journey? Right. You know, from a founder perspective, you know, they may get investors in one round that have really been silent. They're just money and there isn't value added there for them. Yep. They don't want to add on. So, you know, like you said, it, it needs, it goes both ways and you need to add value to earn that. Um, even if you get that pro rata, it's not yeah. a given. So I think one thing that will be cool with this podcast is that I feel like, you know, we can kind of give advice based off our experience to different sides and different perspectives. And I feel like in this case, you know, if there are founders listening, I think the way you said it is perfect, right? Like, you know, you may not have official pro rata or, you know, maybe they do. And then I saw in the thread, this is way beyond my, you know, my league, but it's like, I guess there's ways where you can kind of like the pro rata is still meaningless. I don't, I don't think we should get into that because I feel like that's uh, um, above my, above my pay grade by a mile. But I feel like for founders, if there are early investors, like I think understanding like the mindset of like someone like you and me that came in with a smaller check, like we want to come in, you know, like I'm invested, like I want to double down, right? Especially if I've been helping and adding a lot of value. And, you know, I think it's pretty clear in the early stage, right? Like the company I'm working with right now, like I got them their biggest customer and then we added a bunch of other customers. It's like, okay, one intro from me, it wasn't a ton of work, but like, wow, that's been pretty valuable, right? So like, I think if you're a founder and you understand that and like how how it does matter whether you gave them the official rights or not like do everything you can to at least give them that option to take their pro rata you know especially like those early stage and smaller checks i feel like that's kind of like the good tangible advice for a founder you know in this situation yeah and just to like double click a little bit further on that our experience our mileage may vary uh so (laughs) a lot take it with a grenade of salt for sure (laughs) uh but you know it's like one way to handle this because i think for founders, the problem is that, you know, potentially have overcrowding in the next round. Like that. Yeah. And so if you give pro rata to everyone, everyone can participate and then it makes it hard for a lead to come in. And so, yeah, I think there's ways to handle this where for people are really valuable and for large check sizes of people that you want to come in the next round, maybe just do pro rata for a certain size check and above or, yeah. you know, very selective basis. And so, you know, well, I, I think, think the way you put it though is, is great. Like, Hey, if they've been adding value from last round to this round, like they get, you know, sort of first crack at pro rata, right? You know, sort of balancing that with the check size. All right. Cool. I was... All right. Well, anything else to add on uh, this uh, Twitter thread? No, I think we hit that one pretty good. So, all right, cool. We did, we did good time-wise too. So I think uh, we're now at uh, just under 30 minutes for our first podcast episode of Wannabe Angels. I think that was a lot of fun. And I think this might even be uh, good enough to publish. I I hope so, but <laughs> put it out there. All right. Until next week. Later, Harry. <laughs>